welcome to episode 97 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, the return of everyone's favorite game, Two Truths and a Lie, where David will try to stump me and I'll try not to make a fool out of myself. Plus, we're back to short track racing and we'll analyze just how the Martinsville race will be won. But first, as always, this is episode 97 of Positive Regression. This is the Kurt Busch edition. David, this was chosen by our listeners on the Venue app earlier this week. They had a choice between Chad Little and Kurt Busch. They voted for Kurt Busch. And it's it's been a while since we had a contemporary driver to start the show. Kurt Busch's cup career, of course, dates all the way back to the year 2000. He raced with Dale Sr., one of the few people left that can say that. He is a cup champion with a... Uh, Let's say mercurial story, David, to be nice. I'll use that word. If we're being truthful, a little nuts at times. But uh, Kurt Busch, where do we begin? He didn't lack for entertainment, did he? I mean, it's been, we can at least say that. But let's go back to where and how it began in the 97 car. Because for for seven races, he drove what I'm sure you think is a beautiful green and yellow Ooh. John Deere Ford for Roush Racing. He, uh, at the time, set the record as uh, as a rookie for wins for a rookie in the truck series and was quickly promoted to the Cup Series, replacing Chad Little. His first ever crew chief was Jeff Hammond. And uh, eventually that became Jimmy Finnig, and that was, that was the championship winning combination. But that first year, those seven races, Kurt Busch amassed a negative 0.679 peer. That was very clearly growing pains on display because the next season as an official Cup Series rookie, he earned a 0.914 peer uh, as a 22-year-old. And then the three years after that, all in the 97 car, peers over 2.3. He won the series championship at age 25. He was the youngest champion since 2004 until Chase Elliott beat that record last year. Uh, Bush, I think, has been a highlights guy, maybe not a results guy. And that proved true in the nine years after his championship. He earned one single season production rating above 2.0. It got a little bit better after that. 2015 was actually his banner season in terms of peer, a 2.697. But Alan, he established himself in my eyes as maybe the best restarter of the double file restart era. Uh, certainly the most memorable. He ranked first or second in non-preferred groove retention, which is a difficult feat in 2013, 2014, 2015, wow. 2018, and 2020. Very impressive. Uh, his highlights, his gifs, certainly things I, uh, constantly go back to for articles because they're amazing. And it's, it's fun to sort of celebrate, if not, you know, race wins, these, uh, non-traditional moments, these pockets of genius that he's kind of given to us. Uh, and for me, he is the poster child in the weird is effective philosophy. Uh, and since then, since he's been able to have success in NASCAR, I've kind of turned my attention on drivers who uh, have a little bit of weird in their game. Maybe Austin Cendrick coming from a, you know, a global rally cross road course background, maybe Sheldon Creed trying crazy stuff on restarts. Uh, I think that I 
sort of capture on to those kind of drivers because what I've seen because of the enjoyment of uh, of watching Kurt Busch. You focus obviously a lot uh, on stats and analytics and stuff. Do you ever wonder, like, like say Kurt Busch stayed with Team Penske and you know that that becomes the, all the success Joey Logano had? Do you wonder what that that combination of talent and restarts uh, has if he stays with something like a Team Penske and doesn't have kind of that break in the middle of his career in terms of uh, equipment dip down in performance? Yeah, that's a great what if. Uh, what would have happened if, if Kurt had remained with Team Penske? And, and these were problems that he sort of built for himself. And I think he's admitted that in, in recent years. But, you know, the, the Team Penske that he was at was at a weird point for that organization. I think David Stremme was the other driver for a year. And then a young Brad Keselowski comes in, a young brash Brad Keselowski comes in and, and sort of redirects the, the Penske way, at least for the stock car program. I don't know how much Kurt had in regards to that. I don't know what sway um, he was utilizing and I don't know what impact he was actually having because you know, one weekend he would win the Coca-Cola 600. The next weekend he'd be completely irrelevant. And that was, that was largely the Kurt Bush at Penske story. You use the word mercurial. I think that's pretty good to sum up his, uh, not only his off-track stuff, but maybe his on-track stuff as well, because it wasn't ever linear in terms of good or bad. These moments of genius might prove themselves for for one day and for one race, he would get things right. And certainly we've seen that recently at Chip Ganassi Racing. He has one good race, gets himself in the playoffs or gets himself to a next round in the playoffs. But the rest of the year, it's either overachieving with a, a, a slow car or vice versa. And it's it's been a career that's never really been on one page at any one time. Yeah, interesting to uh, to look back on. And, and when you look at his career, David, I mean, you know, we talk about drivers who have wins in every season. I mean, if you take away those weird years where he was in the 51 and then went to the 78 before it was, you know, the furniture row we know now. I mean, he, he has a win in every single season that he has raced, uh, save those two years and uh, maybe his rookie year too. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, he's one of those consistent drivers that even at his age 42, the last three, one, two, three, four, five, you know, six years, seven years, he's had at least one victory. Uh, I mean, he's that kind of driver that can still put it in victory lane and still a threat, uh, especially with his restart prowess. Is he a Hall of Famer for you, Alan? Oh, of course. Of course. He's Kurt okay. Busch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kurt Busch, man. I mean, just, just for what he does, his skill out there. Um, I, you know, I love him for what he did in the IndyCar race, the one Indy 500, he finished sixth. I mean, come on. He, he's such a talent. He is a Hall of Famer to me. Is that a question for you or? Uh, no, I, I, I think he certainly is deserving of, uh, of Hall of Fame. I, I also sort of appreciate him looking outside of NASCAR for, uh, for, for getting his auto racing fix, uh, pro stock car and NHRA. I think we're going to see him at, uh, in sports cars at some point. And, uh, along with Kevin Harvick, he is actually one of two active NASCAR drivers with IROC championships. Wow. So, um, pretty successful, pretty eclectic. Maybe it isn't the kind of success that hits you over the head, but he does tend to do everything well at some point. Good stuff. And it all started, at least in Cup, in the 97 car for Kurt Busch. Episode 97 of Positive Aggression, the Kurt Busch edition. 
All right, let's get this started. For those new to positive regression, occasionally, about once a season, David will deliver some useful stats in the form of the game we're going to play, Two Truths and a Lie. It is back. Uh, he'll give me three statistics, but the catch is one of them is false, and I get to use my brain and try to tell which one of them is the lie. And of course, you can play along at home because I have my my pen and I have my paper because David is going to throw some stats at me and I have to tell you which one is incorrect and it's a fun game I promise because uh David usually does these pretty good the choices so let's start off David we have four different rounds coming up and you're giving me a little clue the first one is about cup series passing statistics I assume so far in 2021 uh we'll learn a little something here even if you're lying yeah, well, okay. But first of all, I, I have to ask, what is the pen and the paper going to help you with in this game? Well, I mean, there's there's three choices, so I have to like write them down, or I can't remember them all. Or oh my goodness, okay. I'll be a better all contestant right. if I write them down. I think. Are you a really fast writer? Like, are are you like a speed typer that can just process words and, and put them on paper in like yeah. nanoseconds? Yeah, don't worry about me. I got a system. I got a system to. I mean, I'm a faster writer than I am typer to look up or typist to look up all this stuff and try to cheat the game. So. Be happy with that. <laughs> how, how are you going to cheat this? Okay, I okay. I don't even want to dive into your process. <laughs> first question, uh, or first round, I should say, is related to Cup Series passing, and specifically, I'm looking at the surplus passing value metric. So, two truths, one lie. Alan Kavana, let me know what they are. First stat: Daniel Suarez is a top five passer on non-drafting, non-dirt ovals. Okay, go on. Okay, that's the first one. Second, Bubba Wallace is a top five passer on 550 horsepower tracks, Daytona omitted. Okay, top five, 550, okay. And the final, the three worst passers overall were all drivers who made it to the round of eight in the 2020 NASCAR playoffs. The three worst passers so far this season. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got to think back to the round of eight last year. Okay. So Daniel Suarez, top five passer at non-drafting tracks. Bubba Wallace, a top five passer at the 550 tracks. And the three worst passers overall all made the final eight. That's tough. I mean, Suarez is outperformed. I don't exactly know, but he's probably had to pass a few cars to make that thing uh, perform, so I'll give him that. Bubba, I'm just not so sure about right now. And the last stat sounds uh, so interesting that I hope it's true, so I'm going with Bubba Wallace is the false story. Bubba Wallace is actually no. true. He is the fifth <laughs> best passer right now on 550 tracks. Interestingly, Alan, the he is the, oh, no. the worst passer among those with a top 30 car last year, he had a negative 3.54% surplus passing value. Right now, that number is a positive 1.51% SPV. So big, big improvement for Bubba. The correct answer, the actual lie, was that the three worst passers overall were all drivers who made it to the round of eight. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a smile on your face. It's only a little bit false. It's very <laughs> nearly true. That's how you get me, David. Because Kevin Harvick and Brad Keselowski rank as the least efficient passers right now, if not for Corey LaJoy. 
Joey Logano would join them in the really? bottom three. Yeah. So w- you and I have talked about Harvick. Um, Brad Keselowski's race on the Daytona road course, not a good look. Uh, just uh, the amount of times he went off course, he ended up hemorrhaging spots that race. And that's dragging him down. Uh, given his sensational restarts this season on the choose rule tracks, I would anticipate that that specific SPV number does improve. But Joey Logano, Similar to last year, really having trouble with 550 tracks, negative pass differentials for him uh, at Homestead, Las Vegas, and Atlanta. I wrote about the the dip in this number last year for Motorsports Analytics. You remember that article. Uh, he referred to his team as lost puppies at the 550 tracks, mm-hmm. and his passing numbers took the brunt of that, and they have not gotten any better. Uh, it, it almost seems as this is uh, a 750-track specialist, this 22 team and the 22 driver. That'll surprise some people only because, and this is for the listener's benefit, I mean, because success, I guess, elsewhere can, can mask some of that. Because, you know, when I think of Joey Logano's season, I think of it's pretty damn successful. You know what I mean so far? That he's running well. Is that masking this deficiency, you think, in some people's eyes? Speed in general masks deficiencies, yes. And I think what we've seen from him, he performed very well at Daytona. Uh, he got a great finish on the Daytona road course, and he did have a positive pass differential that day, uh, nearly won that race. Bristol Dirt uh, and the in Phoenix in spurts, it's another 750 track. That's where he's popped this year. It is the 550 tracks, the bigger facilities that has confounded Joey Logano and Paul Wolf seemingly for a second straight year. They did end up turning it around last season. They won at Kansas, thanks in large part to good pit stops. But uh, yeah, this year, um, head-scratchingly so, it is uh, not better off. Interesting stuff. All right, let's go to round two. I am 0 for 1, but at least I learned a lot, so we're all winners here. <laughs> <laughs> round two, hit me. Okay, we are focusing on Cup Series restarts right now. The first factoid for you, Eric Almarola ranks as the best restarter across both grooves when it comes to position retention. Okay, Eric Almarola. That's the first factoid. Second, Matt DiBenedetto ranks inside the top six for position retention in the preferred groove and Overall on choose rule restarts. Okay, let me see. Maddie D. Say that one more time. Matt DiBenedetto <laughs> yeah. ranks inside the top six for retention in the preferred groove and overall on choose rule restarts. That omits his two disastrous performances <laughs> in Daytona and uh, and the Bristol Dirt Race. Gotcha. Okay. And the third factoid. Um, Mr. Daniel Alejandro Suarez Garza, one more time, has the biggest positional gain among all drivers from the non-preferred groove. Daniel Suarez, biggest gain from which groove? The non-preferred groove. Non-preferred. Interesting. Uh, I mean, that Eric Almarola one just... You know, maybe he has a little speed and he's been in the back so he can pick up some things, but he has to be at toward the front for him to even count these restarts. But that middle one, Matty D, I'm going with Matty D is the false story. 
Oh man, that's true. Oh. He ranks first from the preferred groove among those with at least eight attempts, and he ranks sixth overall on Choose Rule Restarts. The false flag here is Eric Almarola because he oh, ranks worst. second <laughs> to Ryan Blaney. Uh, still not a bad showing for Eric Almarola. And, and I want to point out that, yeah, he's got a high ranking uh, for his restarts right now, but I do sense regression is in the cards. His 201 positions lost from the non-preferred groove last year was the worst among all drivers. And his retention rate, this year on choose rule restarts is right at the 57% mark. That is okay because it goes across both grooves. It is not great though. Uh, his best single race restarting performance was the Daytona road course. And you know, that might be something. It might be nothing. If he can sustain being a good road course restarter, it does mean more in the year 2021 than it did in previous years. So, Maybe that's a strength. Maybe that's something that can propel him uh, a little bit more firmly in the playoff hunt. Um, but as it stands right now, per the numbers, yeah, he's the uh, the second best driver when it comes to all-in position retention. Interesting. And I will point out, you've, you've pointed out two pretty positive things about Daniel Suarez, right, uh, so far. So uh, that, yeah, I mean, let's talk about him, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, it, just a, a great season. So in regards to passing, top five passer on non-drafting, non-dirt ovals. Uh, this is a significant improvement for him in long run passing. Obviously over last season, it was a negative 2.34% SPV when driving for Gaunt Brothers. But in 2019 with Stuart Haas, he was also a minus passer, a negative 0.83% SPV. This season, positive 1.66%. So he is in the plus column for that. And on the restarts, plus zero positions gained on four attempts. Uh, not many from the non-preferred groove. If we want a healthier sample size, Denny Hamlin is your man. He's averaging a 0.18 position loss across 17 attempts all in from the non-preferred groove. But... You're right. Those numbers are uh, promising for Daniel Suarez, a driver, I think, got the short shift, uh, booted out of SHR to make way for Cole Custer, kind of had a year in the weeds with a backmarker team last season and um, appears back now. I mean, this is this is um, something interesting. I always like when a new competitive team emerges, and that is Trackhouse Racing, and it seems to be benefiting Daniel Suarez. All right, I'm 0 for 2, but I'm going to make it up right now. Round 3, David. Cup Series Speed. I know all about speed. I studied the speed charts. Talking to myself a big game right here, because I'm going to get this one right, probably. Ooh, yeah, Not. okay, yeah. You're talking yourself into a corner here. All right. Oh, totally. <laughs> Factoid number one. Ricky Stenhouse's number 47 car for JTG Doherty Racing ranks faster in median lap time than three Stuart Haas racing cars. I believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Factoid number two. Christopher Bell with crew chief Adam Stevens is faster in both median lap time and average best lap time than Kyle Busch. With crew chief Ben Bishore. Okay. Bell faster than Bush. We'll see. Okay. Go on. Factoid number three. The fastest Penske car is winless in 2021. 
that would be Brad Kozlowski, correct? So, hmm. So that's, I think that is true. So that means that Ricky Stenhouse is not faster than three of the SHR cars and, uh, Christopher Bell would have to be faster than Kyle Bush, correct? Is that what you're telling me? I don't know. Do you have a final answer here? No, I'm trying to deduce. I'm trying to do. I, I think Brad is true. So that one's off the board. Okay. Um, let's see. Ricky Stenhouse is overperformed, but is he, is he that much faster than I'm going to say Christopher Bell is not faster than Kyle Bush. Therefore, that is the false one. Tight job, Sherlock. You got that one right. Yes. Kyle Bush. What I faster, tell you. Uh, ranks 10th in, uh, median lap time. Christopher Bell ranks 14th. Uh, both Joe Gibbs racing cars. Um, yeah, we'll circle back to Ricky Stenhouse's car. Um, it's not that it's outwardly fast. He ranks 20th in median lap time. It's that those three Stuart Haas cars, uh, Cole Custer, <laughs> Eric Almarola, Chase Briscoe are having a time of it. Um, yeah, that's an issue that SHR is going to have to reckon with, but Stenhouse, we talked about it uh, last Monday on our venue chat. He certainly overperformed for JTG Doherty Racing, the 20th fastest car. He has accumulated the 11th most points across the last five races. He ranks 14th in the standings. It seems a bit unsustainable having that kind of chasm between points and speed, but he you know, is, is making it work, uh, to this point. I think ultimately it's going to boil down to whether he has wins as to whether he qualifies for the playoffs because the, 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 the previously tried and true method of point padding is, uh, is becoming obsolete by every, with every new winner, uh, that we're seeing this year in the cup series. But I, I mean, certainly it's something to keep watch of how this season goes for Ricky Stenhouse and JTG because so far it's been pretty good. All right. Good stuff. Well, I've tied it up, David. Well, no, I haven't tied it up. I'm still down two to one. No, you are, you're one for three, but you have a chance here to tie it up. You know what I mean? Well, this one counts for double points. So if you add them to the one I already have and I get this one, which counts for two, I would, I would win three to two in by my math. What so. kind of <laughs> contrived Reddit point standings did you just create? Okay. I need it for my ego. So round four here, we're going Xfinity. We're going wild card. Let's do it. Okay, we're going to have a, just a, a mismatch of stuff here for the Xfinity series. Oh, yeah. uh, factoid number one, the fastest full-time driver-crew-chief combination in the Xfinity series is winless. Interesting how you worded that. Okay, okay. Factoid number two, Stuart Haas Racing's lone Xfinity series entry ranks outside the top 10 in average median lap time. Okay. And the final factoid. Harrison Burton, four-time race winner in 2020, ranks as the slowest driver among Joe Gibbs Racing's four entries. Okay. Uh, That's odd enough that I believe it. So Harrison, I believe that is true. That 98 car is not having a good year. Uh, what is outside the, what is it for speed? SHR's loan entry is outside what? The top 10. 
top 10. True chief combination is winless. Um, that's overall after the seven races, six or seven races, right? Not just one off. Uh, six races. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Which one of these is a lie? I'm going to say that, mm, Harrison Burton is the lie. That is true. Oh, so I lost. Yeah, so yeah, so we'll we'll talk about uh Harrison Burton in uh in a few, but the the lie is that the fastest full-time driver crew chief combination is winless because the fastest combo belongs to Justin Allgaier and uh, Junior Motorsports. Idiot. <laughs> they were the fastest for the first 6 races and oh, so this was easy. <laughs> I think folks tend to forget how fast Junior Motorsports perennially is in this series. They can put up a fight with some of these bigger uh, Cup Series affiliated programs. Uh, they rank first with Allgaier, fifth with Noah Gragson, ninth uh, mostly with Josh Berry, and twelfth with Michael Annette. And they do tend to be top heavy, but they consistently build fast cars so much so uh, that over the years. You know, we've discussed with Justin Allgaier, uh, he does tend to underachieve, uh, those negative top 15 efficiencies that we talk about. Uh, we can sort of say the same thing about Noah Gragson for as much energy as he's been given over the last few months. He only has two Xfinity wins to his name. Uh, and you think of all those championships that Junior Motorsports has produced. Chase Elliott, William Byron, Tyler Reddick. Uh, the common denominator underneath those drivers, of course, they were good, but they were also, they were born from good speed. And right now, all Geyer's team, uh, with Jason Burdett as crew chief is the fastest full-time effort in the Xfinity series. The fastest car period is the number 54 belonging to Joe Gibbs racing. And they have cycled out Ty Dillon, Ty Gibbs, uh, and Martin Truex. We saw at Atlanta. So, um, interesting there. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't pick that one up. No, I did not. And, uh, you know, Harrison Burton and his four victories, what's the status of Joe Gibbs Racing? Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, Jason Ratcliffe, the new crew chief on this car, replacing Ben Bishore. Uh, so let's not forget what Bishore did last year. I think maybe with hindsight, we can realize it was something of an accomplishment. Uh, not only did Bishore field a competitive entry and yeah, JGR car in the Xfinity series, I, I got that. But Harrison Burton, a, a relatively young driver, didn't win at all in the truck series, came into the Xfinity series, won four times with Bishore overseeing his program. And perhaps that is the impact of Bishore. That is kind of a, a difference. I'll say this though, the number 20 car that Burton drives did have the fastest median lap at Homestead. So they aren't struggling. They rank as the seventh fastest full-time team, eighth if you count the JGR 54, but uh, the winningest full-time JGR Xfinity driver last year, winless to this point in 2021. Interesting stuff, but a good summation. David, I've been defeated. I've been foiled once again by a game on positive regression. Just, just not my thing, but that's why you are the expert and I am the host. So if I was, if, if I could get a hundred percent on these games, I wouldn't think it was very challenging for myself nor my, nor the listeners. So good job, David.
Yeah, I'm curious to see what our listeners, if, if they played along at home, how many they were able to get correct. Just tweet us at Posreg Pod your, uh, your, your score. And, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to make it a little bit more difficult moving forward. Yeah. Feel free to humiliate me. But if you're a smart listener, that's all we can ask for. So good stuff. Two truths and a lie will make a comeback at some other point. Promise. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. But David, let's move on. We are previewing this week's return to Martinsville uh, doubleheader weekend, Friday and Saturday night with Xfinity and Cup on Saturday night. And you know, quickly, I looked. I looked back last year on last year's springish race, David. Actually, the first race was in June because of the pandemic. But the first race at Martinsville. Uh, Joey Logano, he dominated that race. 234 laps he led. It was a night race. I think it was on a Wednesday. But ultimately, David, it was Martin Truex Jr. who took the lead pretty late and kept the lead for the final 130 laps. So uh, that race, at least, was, was dominated uh, by, by drivers who led a lot of laps for a long period stretches of time. This is a track that has minimal tire wear, if any, right during the green flag pit cycles, if you ask some drivers. So what do you look at when you try to factor in what will win this race if, if tire wear is minimal and you look back on some of the re- recent races? I'm so glad you brought up that sp- the spring race uh, last year because that was such a an atypical race compared to what we've seen uh, from Martinsville in years past. But the the crux kind of stayed the same. The correlations between speed rank and finishing result for both Martinsville races last year was plus 0.9, and that is close to a perfect correlation. That means that results should be pretty straightforward. Um, this kind of correlation yields some pretty boring blowouts, and we've seen that at Martinsville in years past. But that wasn't the case last year. As you mentioned, uh, a wrinkle, the lack of qualifying. Hmm. The fastest cars were scattered throughout the field, and in my opinion, I think you may agree with it, it made things visibly more interesting at Martinsville last year, so much so that it, it it's distinctive in my memory. Eventually, the cream rose to the top, but it took some time. It was fun to watch it all manifest. So I'm optimistic about this weekend's race, even though it is very much a track position race. I mean, they all are, but the emphasis here this weekend with very little fall off on worn tires, uh, it was, it's less than half a second's worth of degradation and green flag pit cycles are not likely in a 250 mile race 
with stage breaks, but that's okay. I think the lack of qualifying will make things a little bit interesting. Perhaps the fastest car um, doesn't already have clean air. Maybe it's buried. And for the very least, that that's makes those initial stages kind of interesting, I think. Um, those who can utilize the braking zones to pass have an advantage. Um, but certainly, this is a race that will benefit the teams with elite speed on the 750 tracks. And it's going to be fun to see how they come to the surface. Yeah, I mean, first real short track race of the season. That will be interesting to see who, who, you know, shows us that they are a player, if you will. But if you don't have that speed, David, and this isn't a type of track we think of, obviously, as you said, green flag pit cycles or, or two tire calls or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like there's not, we, we don't think of these things, you know, uh, opening the pit window. It's, uh, we don't use those terms a lot at a place like Martinsville. So what kind of strategy is there, if any, if you don't have elite speed? I think it would be the end of stage, end of race, no tire, two tire gambit. And certainly in the middle portions of this race, a crew chief could get away with trying something. Uh, maybe they drop spots from wherever they restart, but with tire wear not being as big of a factor on lap times, you're more likely to filter out to a spot more deserving based on your speed. Uh, it's actually a workaround for a lack of qualifying, more so than a ploy for points, which I'm sure we'll see. But this race will be heavy on just bids for good old-fashioned track position, right? Some of these calls would probably take place if stages weren't a thing. And I think that right there is the consistent thing that makes Martinsville interesting. And one of the things that not having qualifying at this particular track really allows to shine. If you're looking at teams who may excel in that sort of thing or that decision-making, who would you look to to pull off a strategy like that? Oh, we, well, we spent some of our uh, venue chat this week uh, talking about teams likely to deploy a uh, weird strategy for a chance at a win. But at Martinsville, I can envision faster teams pulling this off. Uh, maybe not those with elite speed right now, but those that we know to be capable. This is in Rodney Childers' wheelhouse right? This is in Greg Ives' wheelhouse. Uh, Kevin Harvick and Alex Bowman rank 11th and 13th in median lap time, respectively. They will have the cars to play defense following what we'll say is an ambitious pit call. And I think this is something that could allow the other SHR cars some opportunity. Uh, on top of that, teams like Wood Brothers with Matt DiBenedetto far out of the points chase right now, uh, they were a top 10 team at Martinsville last fall. And we praised uh, Matty D's restart acumen a little bit earlier in our game. He's the type of driver for which you want these gambles, right? Like the, he, he, the, he tends to work these out fine. So if you're Greg Irwin, why not give something like this a try? Yeah, why not? I mean, look, seven for seven so far. We're looking for a different winner in 2021 to continue the streak, uh, which is a good time to ask you, David, who, uh, who, who do we think will win? And I'll take this one because, uh, even though I, I love the streak that's going, I think we'll have our first repeat winner of the year. 
Uh, I'm something of a sucker for recent winners, David, but I'm going with Ryan Blaney. I think he wins again, and I think he wins at Martinsville. Uh, he, if you look back on his, uh, just on his recent finishes there, five top fives in 10 races at Martinsville, including David, two second place finishes last year. It was weird. Uh, both all the Penske cars finished second through fourth in both races last year. They didn't get the victories, but they finished second through fourth in some sort of combination last year at Martinsville. Uh, so Ryan Laney can lead in Martinsville. He runs well there. He led some laps in Phoenix this year. So I, I just got that feeling that with uh, a little uptick in performance and a win already, I'm picking Ryan Blaney to win Martinsville and get that grandfather clock. What do you think? He is also my pick oh, to win yes. this race. <laughs> I've done something right. Obviously the history's there, right? The, the recent history, but he is the driver at Penske with the most balanced track position profile. He's the best long run passer by a, a wide margin. And he's among the best restarters in the series. Um, he gets spots regardless of the length of the run. And that is huge and it's going to be huge at Martinsville. Martin Truex is a favorite, I'm sure, but I think the number 12 car, given what the driver has been doing across all tracks this year, really, and the specialization of 750 tracks for Team Penske, I think this is going to be the first time he reaps the benefits of that. Um, I'm with you. I think he takes home a grandfather clock uh, this weekend. Everything you just said, I knew. I just didn't articulate it as much or as well as you did. So, uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, yeah, come on, let's go. No, we're, we're all in on Ryan Blaney and the 12 car. So, all right, that, that makes me feel a lot better. Uh, every week we pick winners and we also pick contrarian performers, David, someone who may surprise us. And I'm going to go with someone who already won a race. I know this may not be a fair pick or in the spirit of contrarian performers, but when you think potential winners at Martinsville, I don't think the name William Byron comes up for a lot of people. So I'm going with William Byron. You know, save a crash last year in the fall. Byron has consecutive top tens, you know, at, at Martinsville, including a second place finish. Uh, we were talking about restarts before this year. His restarts have been on point so far. Uh, I enjoy the Rudy Fugel factor. Rudy Fugel has experience and success at Martinsville as a truck crew chief, getting some wins there. So, you know, William Byron just comes to mind, may not come to mind for many people. That's why I believe it's a contrarian pick to think he could do well, potentially even contend for a win at Martinsville this weekend. I'm going to go Hendrick Motorsports, but different driver. Hmm. Alex Bowman oh. finished sixth at Martinsville last fall. Still not among the betting favorites, though. Uh, and I mentioned this earlier. Greg Ives' pit strategy to this point in the season has been perfect. And while he won't likely have green flag pit stops to uh, to play with, I think that there will be enough cautions to give him room to stay out collect track position on behalf of Bowman and to Bowman's credit, he's been a plus passer this season. And this is a track where that particular acumen can prove beneficial. So if Ives and Bowman are what their stats say that they are, I like them for a good result at Martinsville. And I, and I think they're kind of very quietly becoming a good Martinsville team Maybe we saw the top end uh, of that with Chase Elliott. It's reason why you're picking William Byron. Um, I think Bowman can benefit as well. 
All right, good stuff. So we are both all in on Ryan Blaney and Team Penske doing well and uh, making some bets on, on Team Hendrick, improving and upping its game uh, to go along with Ryan Blaney's performance. So we will see what happens. And David, you and I will talk about it during the race on Saturday night because we'll be doing it on Venue. Yes, the Venue app, hopefully for any of you listeners that have joined us on there so far. It's fun to have a discussion and Q&A, kind of a, uh, we, we've done what, a post-race show, we've done some kind of lunchtime Q&As. This time we're going to do it during the race, at least after the first stage break and Saturday night's race. Jump on venue with us and we'll be discussing what's going on and what we've seen so far, what possibly we can predict for the rest of the race. And, you know, if, if, if people are feeling it and we like it, we'll, uh, we'll do the end of stage two and maybe the end of the race as well. But jump on venue. Saturday night, getvenue.app. It's really easy. Uh, you know, a bunch of you who are listening now have already been on there. And David, we had a great conversation on Monday, and I hope we can have a great in-race conversation because things will be playing out, uh, you know, right in front of our eyes, and we can kind of have an instant analytical analysis. Uh, we'll do our best with that right after the first stage break on Saturday night. Yeah, I realize as long as you're, you know, staying at home and, and watching a race on Saturday night, just go full hermit mode and, and, and flip on venue and uh, and listen to us uh, give you a, a second screen experience. Yeah, you've got um, your phone in your hand. Why not? Just listen. yeah, yeah. You're you're already you're already doom scrolling. You you may as well uh, find something positive out of it. And uh, yeah, I think we're gonna have uh, a lot to offer. I'm curious about how this race will play out. Uh, I have a feeling it'll be a fun one under the lights in Martinsville, and uh, we'll be delighted to analyze it with you, Alan. Good stuff. Good stuff, as always. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Luminary, TuneIn, and now YouTube. We're available no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. This does help in spreading the word for this podcast. We notice all the comments. It's so appreciated, so thank you for those. If you have any questions, we love to hear them. We just did a Q&A on Venue on Monday, so we love to hear your questions. We love to answer them. They're such smart questions. Reach out to us on Twitter at PosRegPod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, what are you working on? This week for NBC Sports, I'm writing about teams built for 750 horsepower. It's an expanded 750 uh, schedule this season, so this particular strength will matter a lot. And on Saturday morning, my Martinsville race preview will drop, so please be sure to check that out. Uh, you can find all of those articles on nascar.nbcsports.com, or you can just follow me on Twitter at DavidSmithMA, and uh, I post all my articles there as well. All right, good stuff. Keep up with my uh, keep up with me on Twitter at Alan Kavana. Uh, make sure you watch the NASCAR Fantasy Live Show. Keep up with your fantasy team. We try to give you some good tips. I, I know if you're listening to this, you have a lot of knowledge already. Uh, you know, this is a lot of analytics, David. Our Fantasy Live Show. We're going to bring a little more entertainment this week. We have a bingo machine with bingo balls that may factor in to some of our fantasy picks, just for fun to see if who who makes the better picks, uh, the experts, quote unquote, or the bingo ball machine. So that'll be fun. Just uh, have a little fun with picking some of your NASCAR team, but make sure you watch NASCAR Fantasy Live and get some great info about who to put in your lineup for Saturday night's race. Do not forget that. Uh, but thank you everyone for listening to this episode, episode 97 of Positive Regression. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. We will see you Saturday night.
I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.